Road to Emmaus, Chapter 4, Moses and the Passover. This took place around 1445 B.C. or 1445 years before the birth of Christ. All right, you guys, real excited about this. So last time we talked about Joseph and what a powerful picture Joseph is showing the picture of what Jesus' plan is, what his life was like. And it's just amazing how God did this thousands of years before Jesus was even born as a man. Amazing. All right, so we're in page 69 of, uh, of the book, chapter 4, Moses and the Passover. Let's dive in. Moses and the Passover are a Jewish favorite. The two men remembered what happened long ago by keeping the Passover feast every year. We will see Jesus' story portrayed in it, but we should go back to that road to Emmaus. Jesus may have started by reflecting on the recent history of their time. Perhaps he showed them that it was only 31 years ago that wise men from the east came to Jerusalem so they could see and worship he who was born king of the Jews. I love that. You know, wise men still seek him today, right? Okay, so page 70. This shocked Herod the Great, who considered himself king of the Jews. Herod was not the true king over the Jewish land or people. He was, however, a counterfeit king and was considered great in most of the world's eyes at that time. And even by many in the world today, he was great in the world's eyes, but not in God's eyes. You know, I recently, I don't know, maybe it was a year ago, but there was a National Geographic talking about Herod the Great. And that was the, the title, Herod the Great. And they actually painted a picture of him as actually being a pretty good guy and great. And, um, and how his archaeological things were just amazing and all that. Well, you know what? He wasn't so great when we really look at the Bible and true history. He was an awful man, much like Hitler. So it, it was the Roman Empire who made him king over the Jews. He was an Edomite, actually. He had Edomite blood in his veins. These Edomites were the descendants of Esau, not Jacob. The Edomites were the enemies of Israel throughout history. It is foundational that we remember that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says that over and over throughout the Bible. Very important to remember that. So Herod was a counterfeit king who gave the command to kill living, breathing baby boys two years and younger. This would describe the character of Herod the not-so-great, is what I'm going to call him. Interestingly, the Roman Empire gave the name Palestine to the Jewish land formerly known as Judea and Israel. 
This name Palestine stuck in the eyes of the world back then and even today. Even after Israel became a nation again in 1948 AD, or common era as they call it today, the world still refers to this Jewish land as Palestine, right? So Herod was a he was a pro-Roman and pro-Hellenistic. Politically, his loyalist group were descendants of the old Hellenizing converts who in Jewish history, Jason called Antiochans. And that's in the, um, the history book of 2 Maccabees chapter 9, verses 9 through 14. So those are, those are good books to reference for history, especially the uh, Maccabean Revolt. So a little history on this, and this is a, an extra side note here, is, is that what happened is after Alexander the Great, and there was this, there was like, that was the big Grecian Empire. Well, the Grecian Empire broke up into four different groups. And out of one of the groups which ruled the area of Jerusalem and the Middle East, came about a ruler named Antiochus, Antiochus, some call it. And it was Antiochus Epiphanes or Epiphaneos, which means like an aha moment or a divine moment, a God moment. And this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, was a very evil, evil man. You could even say he was a type a picture of just like Joseph was a picture of Jesus this Matt, this Antiochus Epiphanes was a picture of the antichrist the one who is to come the lawless one the one that will rule this world for a little while and then be cast into the lake of fire so what he did was Antiochus was extremely angry at the Jewish people and he went and slaughtered thousands and thousands of Jewish people, the ones who, who believed in the true God, who kept the commandments and the Torah. And, and he, he, he had them killed. And he wanted the, the, the good ones in his eyes were the ones who would turn their back on God and basically bow down to him. He even set up an abomination in the holy place of the temple. And... Some say it was a statue of, of a Zeus, which it could have been. And so then the, the good Jewish people, the Jewish people who did not turn their backs on God, started a revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. So, so in that paragraph that I just read, um, Jason called him, called these people that were the Hellenized Jews. These are the ones that Antiochus Epiphanes approved of. He called them Antiochens. It's interesting. It's like Antichrists. And Herod was all about that. He was about these Hellenized Jews, which were still around when Jesus was born. So that's a little extra history behind of what happened here with this. Herod was a pro-Roman and pro-Hellenistic ruler. So I find it very interesting. And by the way, by the way, that is where that whole thing with Hanukkah and the menorah came from. It was during this Maccabean revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. 
And it was very interesting because there was a seven-year period where all this came down. And when the revolt happened, they, they set up a menorah, but they didn't have enough oil to keep those seven lampstands lit, to keep the, the fire lit in the temple, which is what gave people hope, seeing that light. And miraculously, even though they ran out of oil, the, the, the lamp stayed lit, the oil stayed full. And that's, uh, that's Jewish history. It's very interesting. And what's in more and more interesting about that is in the, in the book of John, Jesus, I think it's at the end of John chapter 10 or the beginning of 11, Jesus comes to the temple through Solomon's porch and it says it was the, the winter. It was the feast that was in winter. This was Hanukkah. And Jesus was actually going to the temple for Hanukkah. And remember, Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Isn't that amazing? All right. That was a little side note, a little extra you get from uh, this audio book. So we're on page 71. And we're, the, um, we're in the third paragraph down, page 71. So these royalists of Herod became subservient priests and were the Sadducees of Jesus' time. These were the people who hated Jesus because they could not believe in him and could not speak peaceably to him. Imagine it as Jesus and the two men walked along the smooth stone road to Emmaus. That, that reminded them that the Romans constructed it. This also reminded them that the Romans were the world power of their time and that Herod was the false king of the Jews. Perhaps Jesus explained to the two men traveling with him that Herod the Great did not know God. In other words, we could describe Herod this way. There arose a king who did not know God. He may have taken them right into the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8. Quote, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Remember, Joseph was a picture of, of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is God. And so it's interesting that this new pharaoh over Egypt did not know Joseph, the Bible says. Remember, Joseph is that picture of the Lord. And it was this king, this pharaoh, who commanded that the Hebrew boys, this is during Moses' time, that the Hebrew boys be killed. However, God had his divine protection on one Jewish baby boy who would be a future prince of Egypt. Maybe Jesus asked them, sound familiar guys? The two guys on the road. Perhaps one of them, one of the men answered, this is the same story as Herod killing the baby boys in and around Bethlehem around 30 years ago. The Pharaoh of that time was a type of Herod and Moses was a type of Jesus. Jesus may have responded, exactly. Now you're cooking with olive oil, buddy. No, he didn't say that. I'm just imagining that. So then Jesus may have expounded further along in the story, showing how Moses was at first rejected by his own people, Israel. One day, this is later in life with Moses, one day 
Moses saw two Jewish men quarreling with each other, and he tried to stop them. Then one of them said to him, Who made you prince and judge over us? So his own brothers, his Jewish brothers, who were the people of Israel, rejected him. So this prince, Moses, this deliverer of Israel, then left his own people for a long time. In fact, the scriptures show that Moses went to the Gentile land of Midian, where he found seven daughters by a well. It was there that some bad shepherds came and drove these daughters away. But Moses protected them and watered their father's flock. Remember in the book of Revelation that we see seven Gentile churches. Remember the seven lampstands, which are the seven churches? Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. So the church is the bride of Christ. And it is a term used to describe the Gentile church as a whole. The church's job is to water and feed the flock of the Father. The strong hand of Jesus can only do this. Moses was the picture of Jesus taking care of these Gentile daughters and shepherding the flock of the Father. He was the shepherd for many years in this Gentile land far away from his people Israel. But after these things happen, the father of these seven daughters gives Moses one Gentile bride. This is the same as Jesus embracing and catching away his bride, the church, to be with him. Remember, you know, the rapture of the church, right? To live in his house at the end of time. By the way, look at how there were seven daughters, but one bride. This is the same as the seven churches in Revelation, but made one bride returning with him. By the way, I'm going to give you a quick side note again. Um, there are seven churches that Jesus writes to and lists in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And the last one, the one just before the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Philadelphia is a sixth one, and, and they're given a, a great promise from God that they would be spared from the wrath of God, which will come on the whole earth, and that there's an open door to heaven for them, which is a picture of the rapture of the church, I believe. But this seventh church, the Church of Laodicea, was a lukewarm church. It was like evil and good we're trying to mix with one another and god says i'm going to spit you out of my mouth jesus said that well it's interesting to me because back to antiochus epiphanies or the or we could call him the antichrist epiphanies the picture of the antichrist that character well back then he had a wife guess what her name was laodice which means laodicea and where she was from Laodicea, and that was his bride. Just a little interesting side note for you there. All right, back to the book, page 75, Moses and the Passover, page 75. So at the end of that long period of shepherding in the Gentile, the Gentile flock here in Midian, that's where Moses was, the Lord said to Moses, quote, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. 
and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So Egypt is always, in the Bible, it's always referred to as a type of the world throughout the scriptures. So this is a foretelling picture of how God will rescue his people Israel. Remember, a little side note again, remember the Gentile bride, she's with Moses. But God is sending Moses to rescue his people Israel out of Egypt, which is a type of the world. All right, continuing the uh, second last uh, paragraph on page 75. Jesus may have spoken of this to show how it will be his second coming that will end the world's oppression of Israel. By the way, how ironic is it that the world community is oppressing the small country of Israel today? The world's leaders today seem to be the taskmasters over the Jewish people, not allowing Israel to defend her own people. They take the side of the people who want to wipe them off of the face of the earth. Moses is a type of Jesus and a powerful picture of Jesus' second coming. Like Joseph's story, he was re also rejected son of Israel, a prince, now going to Egypt to save his people Israel during their great time of trouble. God heard the cry of his oppressed people long enough and so it was now time that he sent his servant Moses to save them. And when Moses came back to them, it was a surprise, just as it will be a surprise when Jesus returns. The scripture continues here in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20. Quote, Then Moses took his wife and his sons, and he set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Jesus may have pointed out that only three days earlier in their time, the Messiah, the prince, was cut off and rejected by his own people. Just like Moses' story, Jesus is protecting his Gentile bride and feeding the father's flock until the fullness of that time of this flock is complete. Remember, Romans chapter 11 points that out. Page 77, we're going to continue, second paragraph. And when the time of the Gentiles is completed, he will return with his bride and with the rod of God in his hand. He will then free his own people, Israel, from the oppression of this unbelieving world community. The two men would have begun to wonder about the certain man who was traveling with them and teaching them as their hearts burned, right? Again, they may have remembered when Jesus told them, quote, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Remember that was in John chapter 10. They may have reflected on how Jesus taught them on the Mount of Olives about his return and glory and that no one knows the hour or the day of the coming of the Son of Man. At that moment, they may have spotted a shepherd 
with his wife walking along as the shepherd guided his flock of sheep on that grassy hillside, noticing a, a rod in the shepherd's hand. Perhaps he was leading the thirsty sheep down the sloping green hill to the stream of cool water in the tree-lined canyon below. Jesus then showed himself in this part of Moses' story, the Passover. The Passover was really his story. Or you could say history, but it's really his story, right? He may have painted a picture in their imaginations on how the doorposts were painted with the blood from the lamb without blemish. And it was made in the shape of a cross. Only those who were in the blood-marked houses were spared, the firstborn. Those, they were spared from death that night, as only the blood of the Lamb would save them. This is the same for all of us. When death comes, you must have the mark of the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost of your heart in order to live forever. Remember, this is a spiritual mark that God puts on you, the mark of the Holy Spirit. So how? How do, how do you do this? Page 79. Believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. That's what the Bible tells us. John the Baptist said it well. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's you and me, folks. We can imagine Him showing the cross in His next story. After crossing the Red Sea, the people of Israel went three days with no water, and the water they found at Marah was bitter and undrinkable. However, God ordered Moses to throw the tree into the bitter waters of Marah. Jesus may have pointed out that the tree was a picture of the cross. The cross with his blood makes the bitter waters clean and sweet, so that all who are thirsty may come and drink the new fresh water, and the living water that flows forever. This is coming from Jesus, right? Remember, Peter referenced that Jesus was on the tree as a symbol of the cross. Bottom of page 79. Later, we know all of Israel traveled on through the desert, and then they rebelled against God. And poisonous snakes bit them. Remember that part? That's in Exodus then we see God had Moses put the brass serpent on a pole to represent sin. Remember, it was held up on a pole, the brass serpent. And he held it up. Moses held it up. And all those who looked upon the lifted up wood pole found healing from their lethal snake bites. The Bible says Jesus became sin for us. Just as the brass serpent lifted up on the wood pole, we see that Jesus and the fiery wrath of God put upon him, was put upon him so that all who look upon him find healing of the venomous sting of death from sin. There are many, many more pictures of Jesus in these early books written by Moses. But if we were 
on a seven-mile journey to Emmaus, we would not have the time to cover all of it. So perhaps Jesus covered it all. After all, he is the Son of God who created this world, and so he can do anything. Maybe Jesus perhaps slowed time down and covered absolutely everything. But I just love, I love these pictures. I mean, even today, you know, the medical symbol is that brass serpent on a pole. You guys have seen that on ambulances or if you were in the military, the the, the symbol of that MOS, that uh, occupation as a medical uh, person, they have the little brass symbol with the serpent going up it. And it's just interesting because, and, and if you read the Exodus carefully, it was a wooden pole with a brass serpent on it. Wow. And the serpent is representing sin, right? Sin. That venomous snake, Satan, who put that venom into mankind as we ate of that fruit. And and that venom is going to kill you. But it, the people of Israel, if they would just look at their eyes on that pole raised up, the brass serpent, which was a symbol of Jesus on the cross, their, their venom, their, their, their uh, poison was just went away. They were healed and they lived. Wow. I just love this, this picture, how Moses was a picture of Jesus and how the Passover lamb was the picture of the blood of the lamb saving us. It's just all this stuff is so wonderful, isn't it? Oh my goodness, I just love God for this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for revealing your scriptures to us, God. And Lord, I, I just want to pray right now for anybody right now, uh, perhaps they were raised uh, Jewish and they knew all these scriptures and their eyes are beginning to open and they're seeing you in these stories. They're realizing that it was Jesus almost 2,000 years ago who completed all this, who fulfilled all these prophecies and fulfilled these stories that were hidden in, in the scriptures, Lord, in the Torah, in the Pentateuch. It was there. And so, Lord, I pray for them. And I also pray for other people, for, for uh, Muslims who don't know Jesus, for, for Hindus and Buddhists and atheists and all the other religions out there and just people who don't believe, Lord. I pray for everybody who might be hearing this, everybody who might have a chance to see your truth and have an opportunity to choose to receive you, Lord. I pray for them. I know your Holy Spirit works in their heart. And if anybody feels that in their heart now out there, you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, you feel God gently saying to you, yes, this is true and it's me. But you have to decide for yourself. And if you decide right now that you want Jesus to come and take residency in your life, to live in your life, to live in your, you're opening the door to your life to him, then you could pray this prayer right now, right here, right after me. Again, this is a prayer to receive Jesus into your life, to turn from your sins, to believe in him, to follow him, and be born again. So if that's you, go ahead and say this prayer right after me. Dear God, I am so sorry. I am a sinner. I have sinned in what I've done and what I've failed to do in life. And I turn from my sins. And I choose you, Lord. I, I choose to receive you and open the door of my life to you, Jesus. And I open my heart to you, Lord. And I believe in you. 
I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again in three days. And I believe you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that you're coming again to take us to be with you. I believe all these things. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And Lord, I pray anyone who just prayed that you would just fill them with the Holy Spirit, God. That God, the Holy Spirit, would fill them up, Lord, and overflowing. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Hey, guys, really excited. So the next segment is going to be chapter 5, Isaiah. And this was written around 700 years before Christ. Can't wait. It's going to be great. God bless you. And uh, and by the way, if any of you uh, uh, prayed with me to, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, feel free to... Uh, you can email me or or leave a message um, on Facebook, George Crab, uh, Facebook or Crab George on Instagram, and uh, just uh, let me know. All right, all right, you guys. God bless. Have a great, great time with the Lord. In your name, Lord, we pray that this will happen. Amen.